And the new year has begun. Well, it's been about a month, maybe. Welcome back, Pastor Brett. Welcome back. Welcome back indeed. It's Well, when you're listening to this, it's 2024, if you can believe it. Uh, in the world that used to exist when you used to write checks um, for this or that, this is a time of year when you're always, well, when I would always be writing in the previous year because you're used to writing the previous year over and over and over and over and over again in your checkbook, but now you're not. So welcome to 2024. I trust you had a, a Merry Christmas. Um, for those of you that are Covenanters and so hate Christmas, uh, uh, congratulations, it's over. You don't have to fight about it again and curse us now uh, because we actually say Merry Christmas. Um, and you can uh, go on to whatever other issues Covenanters like to go on about. Um here on Iron Inc., we're glad to have you as an audience. Many of you are supporting us with your time. Some of you are supporting us with your treasures. Um, and we're deeply humbled, whether it's time or treasures, that you're investing. As we've said over and over again, uh, we're just flabbergasted, or I'm flabbergasted. Anybody would want to listen to me. Um, when there's the treasury of the Western literature out there, they could be reading. Um, the point is that there's a lot of far, far greater minds than mine out there. Uh, but uh, I'm one of those minds that still has a heartbeat, and so maybe that's part of the curio that comes with Iron Rhetoric. But Iron Rhetoric is glad uh, for your considerations at all points. Uh, so once again, welcome back, and I trust 2024 will will be all that God would have it be in your life, and you would find God richly prospering you in 2024. I will say this at the very outset. Uh, we should be much in prayer uh, regarding 2024. Uh, we should be thinking proactively about uh, where we want to be by the time October or November rolls around. I, I mean, I'm not alone on this. I have a sneaking suspicion that it's going to be when election time rolls around and everything leading up to that, it's just going to get it's going to get crazy. It's going to make the craziness we've lived in, in the last uh, five years. It's going to make it look like nothing. Um, I don't know where this is going, but I, I do anticipate a wild roller coaster ride. So, having said that, um, be good Boy Scouts and be prepared. All right. Uh, I want to thank Matt again for joining us for the trip on 2024. Indeed, we would not be making this trip if it wasn't for Matt Smith, and so we're glad for his technical uh, skill and his willingness to give of his time in order to be able to do this. Uh, we're going to look this evening at um, one reverend, I think he's a reverend, um, Andrew Sandlin. Uh, I affectionately call him Andy. Um we're going to look at some of his quotes. Uh, Andy was uh, one of R.J. Rushdoony's uh, lieutenants, uh, you might say, when um, Rushdoony was still alive and running Calcedon. Um, later, Andy left. Um, I don't know what the circumstances were. There are different reports on that, and I don't know for sure. But anyway... He went and founded uh, the Center for Cultural Leadership, I think uh, is what he calls that. Uh, he styles himself reformed, um, but I've never thought of Andy as being particularly reformed. I've been to one comp, no, two, 
two conferences that he's been at in the past. I don't think I've ever met the man, um, but in saying that he's been to conferences, obviously I've shaken his hand. Um, I've listened to him on a number of pocketcollege.com's um, broadcast of Rush Dooney where he sits down on round tables. And I frankly, I've never been that impressed. And to be fair, I mean, I'm sure if he read me, um, he would not be that impressed either. So me saying that he, I'm not that impressed is not going to be that big deal. But he is considered a leader in reconstruction circles. I don't get why. I don't get why half the leadership is considered leadership in reform circles, regardless of what particular stream you're talking about. But, you know, there it is. This, that's the reform world we currently live in today. We have, as Paul said, we have those reputed to be pillars that maybe are not so much pillars. Um, but anyway, we're looking at Andy tonight and, and what he has to say. We're going to do, do a kind of uh, top 40. Now, I know when you're listening to this, you're not going to be listening at, uh, at the end of 2023. But if you were, then you'd understand the theme. You know, you get to the end of 2023 and you, you turn into the classic rock stations and they'll give you the, the top hits of, of the previous year. Or maybe they'll give you the uh, top hits of the last 10 years. Or they'll do some kind of top hits. Well, we're going to do that kind of format with Andy tonight. We're going we're gonna to look at some of my top quotes Top Andrew Sandlin quotes. Um, and if I could do a Casey Kasem inter- um, impersonation, I'd say, in at number 40. Um, but we're not going to do that since I don't do Casey Kasem very well. Uh, but we're going to give it a, a, the top 40. Well, we won't get to 40 probably. Um, these are Most of these are from the last year. Um, some of them are older than that. Um, but these are all really special uh, Andy Sandlin quotes. And when I get done with this, I hope you're you're along with me scratching your head saying, huh? what's that all about? So anyway, here's the first one. Uh, this is uh, from October the 6th. Now, this is when I picked them up. I don't know exactly the date. This is from an article called that Andy wrote called The Patriarchy Problem. And if you plug that in uh, to a, a search engine, you can you can find it online. But here's the quote we're dealing with. The first quote, uh, I guess maybe if you're counting down, you're going backwards. Where okay, this would be the lesser egregious uh, to more egregious. Quote: The father has no more say in the children's rearing than the mother, and therefore patriarchy, detonatively speaking, is no more valid than patriarch matriarchy. The Bible does not teach that the father is the head of the household. It teaches that man is the head of the woman. First Corinthians 11, an altogether different issue, unquote. Andy Sandlin. Now, you know, that by itself should make you just cringe, but here's the fact of the matter. First of all, when he says detonatively, he's talking about the, what detonative means is the express meaning of whatever's being considered. So if you're talking about a, a, a word, you're talking about expressly what it means. So if you use, for example, the word homework, you're talking about work that's taken home from school. That is the detonative meaning of, of note work. Now, of homework. Now, if you're going to talk about connotatively, 
uh, connotatively, homework could could raise all kinds of negative kinds of feelings. Oh, I won't be able to go outside and play because I have to do my homework, or oh, I'd rather be doing something else because I have to do my homework. Uh, and so, homework gets a connotatively bad meaning, but deed tonatively, it merely means work taken home from school to work to do. So when taught when Sandlin says in this quote that denotatively speaking, patriarchy is no more valid than matriarchy, he's saying that father rule, as it's you know expressly understood, is no more valid than female rule or mother rule. All right? This is an incredible thing to say. And then to try to use the fact that um, man is the head of the woman is a different than saying that man is the head of the household, um, therefore proves his point. So let's just take a second here to consider uh, the scriptures. Uh, the scripture in Numbers 1-4, let's take Numbers. Um, and with you there shall be a man of every tribe, every one head of the house of his fathers. Numbers 1-4. Well, that sure seems, Andy, like to be teaching uh, patriarchy uh, to me. And then there's the whole idea of uh, St. Paul and what he argues in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, for those aspiring to be bishop, he says that the bishop must be one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God, or the church of God? So, you know, First Timothy 3, Numbers 1, they both are expressly teaching this idea of, of patriarchy. Uh, then you have, going back to Genesis, uh, God says, uh, For I have chosen him, referring to Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring up Abraham, may bring upon Abraham, what he has spoken about him. So Sandlin says this stuff and writes this stuff, but it's clearly bourgeois. Uh, There's there's no there there. It's matter of fact, he's he is advocating something that is non biblical and saying it is biblical. He's saying that patriarchy is no more valid than matriarchy. Well, I mean, maybe that's why then he allowed one of his daughters to become a cop. Um, you know, <laughs> grab patriarchy by the uh, uh, by the shoulders and give it the whole old heave-ho. Um, and so we see here that, that Sandlin has, well, I mean, seriously, folks, he has issues. But he's, he's clergy and he's reformed and he has a platform, so of course he has issues. I mean, it's... It's getting to the point where if somebody has a platform and they're reformed and they're in their clergy, of course they're going to be um, not particularly wise. Uh, here's another one, uh, counting down. Uh, this is from November of 2022 is when I posted it. That kinism and kinists have wormed their way into the mainstream postmodern Calvinian movement exhibits its deep defects. The leftist accusation that conservative Christians are racist is a vicious slander, but tragically, not always, unquote. Now, you know, after you read enough Sandlin, you begin to think of him as um, 
that Doc Brown character in the Back to the Future series. Right? You remember he was he was the guy with the white hair that was fighting to get off his head uh, with a bug-eyed demeanor uh, and the irrational high-pitched speech. Um, that's the way that I, I think of, of, of Doc Sandlin. And yet, people hang on his every word. He has an audience. He has people writing checks. He gets asked to conferences. And so Sandlin's problem is not uniquely Sandlin's problem. It's the willingness of American reformed rank and file to follow him. And again, it's not unique to Sandlin. Um, it's, it's across the board with, with any number of guys. It's helpful to remember that back around 2003 or so, Doc Sandlin called the leftist singer Bono a prophet. Uh, this is the same Bono uh, who crooned, I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds, you loose the chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know, I believe it. And then Bono says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yes, three Bob. Now there's a Christian prophet we can all get behind. Sandlin also said in the past that New York Times columnist David Brooks is, quote, a national treasure. This was after Brooks had written that he opposed any limits on abortion, even partial birth abortions, and called for gay marriage to be legalized a dozen years before Obergefell versus Hodges. Then there was a time when Andy got on the Reformed Catholicism train. Yep. Doc Sandlin was going to find a way after five centuries of of division between Reformed and Roman Catholicism, uh, thinking he he, he was going to find a way to, to cure that. He envisioned the world Protestant Roman Catholic being covered with his Reformed Catholicism. And, and for all I know, he still does. I, I don't know. I mean, it's any way the wind blows. Um, then there was a time, oh, I almost forgot to mention, when Andy told everybody that Arnold Schwarzenegger for governor of California was the clear post-millennial vote. I mean, that was the guy a post-millennialist could vote for. Um, the point here is that Sandlin is, well, I, I don't know how a Reconstructionist can listen to him. Um, neither is he particularly good at reading the cultural tea leaves. Uh, he's not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. Um, as it relates to the quote above that we gave at the outset about kinism, the one that talks about Kinists wormed their way into the mainstream postmodern Calvinian movement, the one I started with. Um, let's note here, Kinnist and Kinism didn't worm its way into anything. Uh, I don't know how much reading Doc Sandlin does these days, um, but if the man would just pick up the book, Who is My Neighbor? by Thomas Acord and Daryl Dow, Andy Sandlin would realize that the Reformed indeed Christianity itself has always been kinist, always. Uh, and so to talk about us worming our way into Calvinism is just bogus. Kinism of, of some variant has been the express belief of our theologians, our pastors, our laymen, through the centuries into the last 60 years or, years or so, when the real he-men, uh, like Doc Sandlin, came along to fix our theology. Now, I, I keep referring over you. If you listen to Iron Rhetoric, you know I keep referring to this book, Who is My Neighbor? But it ticks me off. Here it is, a record, an anthology, 600 pages of quotes, and nobody, nobody has dealt with it. It's just like it's, they, it, 
if they ignore it long enough, it doesn't really exist. But there are all the quotes. There they, there they all are, and, and nobody wants to deal with them. And instead, everybody wants to keep talking about Kinnis worming their way into the postmodern Calvinian. It's not us who wormed our way into anything. It's, it's you that's recreated the apple and wormed your way into it. Uh, second, we say, uh, if there are any worms in the Calvinian movement, it's the uh, slithering, slimy, backboneless worms that are represented by any number of people like those chaps who who practice cancel culture on Thomas Acord and many of their ilk. Uh, some of these people are such worms that instead of debating ideas, they'd rather go all worm-like and dox a good man and turtle and dance or, over his experiencing cancel culture. While others of them seem to purposely misrepresent McKinnis' believe so as to blacken and tar uh, the name of the movement. Or they're resolved to misunderstand and misinterpret Kinnis' At every turn. Uh, that's what we're dealing with. He also talks about in that quote, the idea about deep defects. Let's go back to the quote to, to get this right. Um, Kinnism and Kinnis have wormed their way into the mainstream postmodern Calvinian movement exhibits its deep defects. The deep defects apparently in the postmodern Calvinian movement. Well, let's talk a little bit about these deep defects. You can see that Doc Sandlin, when he's not supporting Reformed Catholicism and female law enforcement officers, moons like as a stand-up comic. Maybe the man is right, though. Any kids who would associate with a movement that has Doc Sandlin as a mouthpiece is definitely teetering on having deep defects. You see, what I'm getting at here is that more and more as these people, and again, their name is Legion, as they continue to say these slimy things, calling us worms, calling us the bringers of deep defects, as long as they keep talking like this, they're going to split the Reformed movement uh, more than it probably already is. He, uh, he uses the term postmodern Calvinian, and I would say only a pseudo-intellectual could come up with a phrase like that. I'm not even sure what, what, what that's supposed to mean. Is postmodern Calvinian a good thing? I wouldn't think anything that has the adjective postmodern in front of it would be a good thing, but that seems to be the way that he's talking about it. Uh, fifthly, we, we note here the fact that any Christian, never mind a Christian of the postmodern Calvinian stripe, would take the charge of racist or racism seriously is itself a laugh riot. The word means nothing today. It's just a word the left hurls at someone when they're losing the debate. The fact that, that Doc Sandlin even worries about being called a racist by the left indicates just how far left the man is himself. Calling Calvinians racist today would be like calling Reformation Calvinists in the 16th century disruptors of the church. Oh, they're disruptors of the church. I mean, the only way to respond to that charge is to say, like, you say that like it's a bad thing. You know, you call me a racist anymore, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure in your worldview I am. Big deal. So what? Let's go on. Let's keep talking. Really, really, folks, except for the pink poodle owner types, who gives a tinker's damn what the left thinks about us? Who cares if they call us racist? We, we've, got to just, we've got to just let it fall off our shoulders, including as it comes from uh, Reconstructionists <laughs> like, uh, like Sandlin. Sixthly, we know here the, the problem that Doc Sandlin has here um, and the problem that we have rather with him is that it's him and his types who are following up our movement. We should say to them, 
get the Hades out of our movement. Start your own movement called, uh, well, what would we call it? I know, the, the effeminate limp-wristed and the pansy-tush cabinets movement. Our movement is for remaining sons of the West. Their movement is seeing how good you can look in pink. Uh, yeah, how good you can look in pink. That reminds me of several Matt Chandler photos I saw today of him being all dressed in pink along with his wife and daughters. Anyway, that's a different subject. So there's another quote from Sandlin. Another reason why you're hearing me go on today. It's just that they, they, they just start piling up uh, after a while. Another quote now coming from our favorite clown recon, uh, Andy Sandlin, quote, racial identity, and this one's recent, racial identity is incompatible with the Christian gospel. The gospel was created partly to overcome racial identity. The gospel was created to forge religious identity. This one is so overwhelming, no matter how many times I reread it, uh, no matter how many times I look at it, I just I, I can't believe it. First of all, um, Sandlin says, racial identity is incompatible with the Christian gospel, which I think would have to mean... Um, would have to mean that it's not really that important that Jesus had to be descended from uh, from the line of David, right? Doesn't that isn't that uh, correspond? I think it does. We would ask uh, if Jesus, who's now at the right hand of the Father, is he no longer to be referred to as the Lion of the Tribe of Judah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we could ask. We could ask. So the gospel was created in order so that the Ethiopian could no longer be used hypothetically as one who could not change his skin? Uh, we might go on to ask about this quote. How can it possibly be the case that given this view that Christianity is not pure on Gnosticism? Seems, according to this quote, the Manichaeans were correct after all. It's just stunning. It really is. And I see it over and over again now, not just from Sandlin, these kinds of things being said. It's... It, it's jaw-dropping. What other words can I use? What other ideas can I find to express my astonishment that these things are being said and so few people seem to hear them and say, uh, uh, wait a minute, uh, wait, 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 wait just a minute here. Fifth, more of the modern gospel that teaches that grace destroys nature is what we have here. Uh, once you love yourself some jeebas, you're no longer red or yellow, black or white, because you're after all, you're all the same in God's sight, right? This is what Sandlin has given us here as Christianity is grace destroys nature. Six, since the gospel is forged to create religious identity, clearly we can also do away with um, biological gender identity. Since it must be the case that if the gospel is created to overcome racial identity, it must also be the case whereupon the gospel was created to overcome gender identity. Right? I, I mean, if Christianity was what came on the scene in order to get rid of racial identity, what's stopping it from getting rid of gender identity? Honestly, I, I, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm left absolutely gobsmacked that this man could have his own wife listening to him and taking heed of him, never mind having scads of people hanging on his every word. And he, as well as those who share this opinion, again, are not that uncommon among those reputed to be pillars in the church. This is why, as I've said countless times and probably on these podcasts, this is why the issue of kinism is to the 21st century at this time 
what the issue of justification by faith alone was to the 16th century. It is, it is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. Because if you get this wrong, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get everything else wrong eventually all, all the way down the line. Next we go to uh, another precious quote. And I didn't even realize how many, until tonight, I didn't realize how many of these quotes I had from Doc Sandlin. Uh, this one is fairly recent. Remember, uh, we're counting down. Um, he says, quote, I think the problem with Christian nationalism in its most prominent iterations, he loves using those words like, I must be smart. I use the word iteration. Um, in its most prominent iterations is that it's essentially the positing of an ethnostate bound together by kinship, presided largely over by concentrated political order with a formal Christian profession. That's certainly not the same thing as Joe mentions. He's talking about Joe Boo here. It's certainly not the same thing as Joe mentions as biblical nationhood. And it's certainly not Christian culture. I think we need to understand that approximately the greatest enemy in Western culture is statism. And we don't need to revive Christian statism which is oxymoronic to replace that. I'm continuing with a Sandlin quote here. He goes on to say, I think we need to Christianize culture in all areas of life. I'll say finally, I think one problem is that because Christians have been so culturally derelict for the last 150 years that they have lost in culture, lost in politics, lost everywhere, now in a mad panic say we must capture politics in order to impose a Christian vision. I don't think that they understand that the left did not first win politics. The left won culture over the last 150 or 100 100 or 150 years, and we will not win the culture back simply by gaining political victories, though getting good Christians in political office is certainly desirable. So this is basically a cultural battle. Christian nationalism sees it as a political battle, and it's a dangerous miscalculation, unquote. Now we're going to take that apart because there's, there's problems here. Before you continue, I need to go take an aspirin after hearing said quote. Okay. <laughs> Take one from me, too, please. Uh, first, we say, if we're going to break this down, Sandlin speaks of Christian nationalism in its most prominent iterations. I want to know the names of those individual Christian nationalists out there who believe that Christian nationalism is what Sandlin is saying they believe Christian nationalism is. I demand this because I have serious doubts uh, that very many of the major Christian nationalist thinkers and advocates out there Define Christian nationalism as being primarily political. Stanley here has given us a genuine example of what I would call a, what's called the red herring fallacy. I'll speak only for myself that this has never been my vision of Christian nationalism. Now, again, um, I'm not a prominent person, and so there'd be no reason for Sandlin to consider me as a prominent spokesman for Christian nationalism, but only let me say that if I were a prominent spokesman for Christian nationalism, this definition certainly would not cut it uh, for me as to what I'm trying to advocate. Um, in point of fact, any Christian nationalism that would be, quote, quoting Salen here, presided over largely by concentrated political order, unquote, could not be in any way taken as serious establishment, in my view, of Christian nationalism. Um, because what's being communicated there is that it's being only and solely pursued politically and pressed down from the top down. Um, the presupposition there seems to be that it's going to be forced on people. There's not going to be a combination at the same time where it's being 
from the top down, but also from the bottom up and from the inside out. Instead, what Sandlin is defining Christian nationalism is as those who want to just push it from the top down authoritative uh, as authoritarians. Um, and I doubt, I, you know, I allow myself to be possibly wrong here, but I doubt a lot of people uh, want that. Even when Stephen Wolf talks about the necessity for a, a Christian strongman, I'm not sure that he's saying that we need this solely as a, a top-down reality minus um, the leveting effect that would come upon Christian culture. It seems that boomers like Sandlin have this fixed image in their head that all, all of us Christian nationalists desire the second coming of Abraham Lincoln's nationalizing of America. Uh, it's just asinine that any Christian would have to say to Andy, uh, no, Andy, I, I do not desire the second coming of Lincoln's nationalism. How could you be so stupid to think I would want that? Right? Um, Lincoln brought a, made a, a country that was a Christian country and could be described as a Christian nation by way of being regionally Christian. He, he did what Salem is talking about it on a, in a top-down, strongman fashion, uh, he turned the country away from regionalism that had created this Christian culture, which birthed a Christian nation, and Lincoln made it um, a nationalistic nation, much the way uh, later that Mussolini would do, much the way that later uh, Hitler would do. Um, Lincoln was the, was the precursor to those two chaps in the way that he brought around a nationalism. A nationalism that Sandlin is suggesting um, is what really all of us Christian nationalists want, which is, I, I guarantee you, if you had this kind of Christian nationalist, uh, nationalism come into existence, that one of the first people they'd want to lock up is me. Um, because I can just imagine um, the missteps that they would end up taking and trying to force this down. Uh, having said all that, secondly, we know what is the problem with and I'm quoting again Andy here, what's the problem with positing, with, with the positing of an ethnostate bound together by kinship, presided over largely by concentrated political order with a formal Christian profession, as long as that non-concentrated political order is a reflection of a Christian culture? Now, Sandlin knows that no Christian worth his salt is going to advocate for a concentrated, re-centralized, Christian political order. Again, I doubt even even Wolf wants that kind of a thing. I know he uses the idea of a Christian strongman, but I doubt if he's he's advocating for Christian tyranny, which is basically what this boils down to. In point of fact, a concentrated political order would not be Christian nationalism because such an arrangement is not particularly Christian. However, a non-concentrated political order, a political order that is diffused and decentralized, one we might call what was Southern regionalism or the antebellum regionalism of these United States prior to 1861, that could indeed be Christian. And I'd be shocked to learn the movies, movers and shakers out there supporting Christian nationalism would say anything other. So again, what we're pivoting on here is Sandlin's insistence on this idea of a concentrated political order as if all of us who are chanting, who desire Christian nationalism, as if all of us desire, uh, as I said earlier, this top-down tyrannical approach. And now keep in mind, there are some crackpots, to be sure, who wet their pants over some kind of version 
of Lincoln's Marxists, uh, Lincoln's nationalization. But I don't think that that's typically uh, what you find out there. I know, again, I would not be satisfied with that. Uh, thirdly, we say it's completely bogus on Sandlin's part to suggest that Christian nationalists uh, believe that this that it is a political val- uh, battle vis-a-vis understanding it's also a cultural battle. However, though politics is indeed downstream of culture, it's also, also at the same time part and parcel of culture, so it cannot be ignored in the way that Andy has, ha- has in the past has suggested. Um, so in other words, what I'm saying here is, sure, we don't want it to be only political, but it doesn't mean that it isn't going to be political in some sense because politics is part of culture. And if you change culture, then obviously you're going to be changing politics. And let's be honest here. Uh, every kind of, of, of social order that comes into being is going to have, is going to have some kind of ability to enforce itself. And those who don't like that are going to be instantly decrying the idea that it's overly centralized, um, that it's being strong man, top down. Really, in my estimation, we say fourth here is that the thing that really blisters Andy's chaps is the perfectly biblical idea of Christian nationalism positing of an ethno-state bound together by kinship. However, Andy's just going to have to get over this. As we have noted ad nauseum here, nations are merely family writ large. Nations, by their very definition, have an ethnic core that cannot be negotiated without losing the whole concept of nation. Christian nationalists merely desire that their blood-informed nations, just as their blood-informed family units, be defined and animated by Christian categories. There's nothing startling or shocking in this idea of Christian nationalism. However, Andy has, has sipped from the grog that is the spirit of the age, and, and like, like Doug Wilson and so many other evangelicals who bellied up to the bar of the zeitgeist, he and others like him just can't hold their liquor. Right, so you have everybody, seemingly I should say, you have all kinds of people decrying Christian nationalism, and it seems that in their head, what we who desire Christian nationalism want is is a concentrated political structure that's going to cast everybody uh, into into prison, um, who isn't being exactly precise on whatever laws come up. But keep in mind, and this is important, I referenced this earlier, I want to say it again, you can be sure that if we had a Christian order that those who hate Christ would be screaming the loudest that we've fallen back into a Christian Nazism or Christian fascism. That's that's been the accusation against a Christian social order at least since the rise of Herbert Marcuse and the cultural Marxists and the publication of their book on fascism. Um, They created a fascism uh, kind of structure, and they said, well, if you believe these certain things on this fascist test that we're giving you, um, things that were obviously Christian, um, then obviously you're a fascist. So if you're a Christian and you believe in a Christian social order, even even one that wants to recreate the, uh, and bring to life again Christian culture, wants to see dads ruling in their homes, wants to see a proper biblical patriarchy, 
uh, wants to see children being raised by their parents, not by the government. Uh, if you think that uh, sexuality should be something that is confined within the bonds of marriage in terms of, of sex, um, you're going to be accused of being a Christo-fascist, and you should just get used to the idea. But Sandlin wants to now jump on that. He doesn't use the term fascist. He does not use the term fascist. But he starts describing everything um, that our enemies want to want to lay at our feet. So is Sandlin a friend or an enemy? And I say that to all those who oppose Christian nationalism. If you understand that we're not talking about a centralized bureaucratic structure that's going to uh, that's going to force in a most draconian fashion Christianity on people, if you understand that we're not saying that, then why are you screaming so loud about the prospects of Christian nationalism? Is Christ the ruler over all the nations or is he not? And if he is the ruler over all the nations, shouldn't it be the desire of his people to see him recognized as the ruler of the, of the nation? And it shouldn't it be the desire of God's people to have all of our nations, like all of our families, be Christian nations? But again, we're misrepresented, and our, the misrepresentation is not just from those that we would expect it. It's from guys like Andy Sandlin. Well, that's what I have uh, for this entry. We're still counting down, so, uh, so stay with us. Thank you for joining us this week. Look for us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. While you're there, leave us a positive five-star review. Don't you know she could bring a good feeling ain't had in such a long time? Save my life, I'm going down.